You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this afternoon is taken from Hebrews 11, 1 to 10, as well as the verses 32 to 40. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And then we go to verse 32. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Our text this afternoon is taken from the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, of the congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, I am sure that at one time or another you have all been in a race. Most likely it was when you were young and it took place at school in gym class or on a field day. Or perhaps it was at a birthday party or some other kind of special occasion. It may also have happened later on in life at a church picnic or some kind of a family get-together. Whenever or wherever it happened, a race is not something that is foreign to us. Most of us can perhaps remember the spectators on the sidelines cheering us on and making a lot of noise. We can recall as well the effort and the strain, the sweat and the exhaustion, the heavy legs and the tired muscles afterwards. And finally, we can still reminisce about the results, where we fast, slow, or in between. Did we finish first, second, or last? Did we run like a rabbit or crawl like a slug? In short then, we all know what it is to run a race. Yes, and because of this, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews makes use of this activity as an illustration. He uses it as an illustration for faith and for how we are supposed to live the Christian life. Yes, and that also makes it a fitting word for this special event here this afternoon. Just like last Sunday afternoon, we are once again dealing with two special events, namely the sacrament of holy baptism and the public profession of faith of a number of our young people, six to be precise. And so again, we may say it is a festive time in the church of our Lord. Whenever the sacrament of baptism takes place, We can only rejoice in the God who claims us so graciously as his own and who covenants with us so faithfully. And whenever our children respond to him and his promises with repentance, faith, and commitment, we can only be deeply thankful as parents and grandparents and really happy as friends and fellow members of the church. Together then, there is every reason for us this afternoon to be thankful and to rejoice. But then what about afterwards? What about outside and tomorrow? Well, that's, beloved, where the race comes into the picture. And indeed, let's take a a careful look at how the writer of the Hebrews describes it and what it all means for us and especially for these young people here this afternoon. I preach to you on the theme, your race of faith. And we're going to see it requires you to remember your many witnesses, remove all of your excessive baggage, run your race with perseverance, 
recall your great motivator constantly. Well, beloved, as I mentioned already, we are doing the same thing this afternoon as we did last Sunday afternoon, namely baptism and profession. And if there are differences, they reside in a slightly smaller number of young people sitting here, as well as in the fact that instead of infant baptism and the baptism of infant twins at that, today it's a matter of Natalie's adult baptism. And for the rest, it is the same. Well, you can even take that a step further if you want, for when we now look at our text, we we also see all manner of similarities. Last Sunday we used Hebrews chapter 10, the verses 19 to 25 as our text. Today we have Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. And last Sunday I drew your attention to the pivotal word, therefore, at the beginning of the text, as well as at the refrain, let us. Well, notice, today it's exactly the same. Here you have another, therefore, another conclusion, climax, being written about. And if you look carefully at the verses 1 to 2, you will see the same refrain. Let us, let us throw off, let us run, let us fix our eyes. In other words, the same features and structure that we found in Hebrews 10, we find back in Hebrews chapter 12. And that, of course, raises the question, are these passages carbon copies of one another? The answer is no. For look, Hebrews 12 verse 1 begins, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Now, what is that? That's a reminder that in between Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 12, there is Hebrews 11, and what a a marvelous and famous chapter it is. It begins with that well-known verse, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And thereafter it proceeds to give us a whole series of names of well-known biblical names. Interestingly, it begins with Abel. Notice not Adam. It moves on to Enoch and Noah. It dwells on Abraham for a considerable period of time. It then proceeds to Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the parents of Moses, Moses himself. And even in the verses 29 and 30, the people of Israel. And thereafter we come to Rahab, Gideon, Barak, At that point, we may wonder, where is Deborah? Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the other prophets. And then notice, it stops mentioning names, and it proceeds to give us the deeds of many who conquered kingdoms, administered justice, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword. It also cites those who were tortured, jeered, flogged, chained, imprisoned, stoned, and killed. Why, it even rather gruesomely refers to those who were sawed in two, as well as those who experienced utter poverty and terrible homelessness and lived in holes in the ground. 
And what is now, beloved, what is now noteworthy about all of these people mentioned in Hebrews 11 is the fact that in spite of what they experienced, in spite of what they suffered, even in the grip of terrible suffering, they remained faithful. Notice Hebrews 12, verse 1, calls them witnesses. Literally, it's the word martyrs. Now, what's a martyr? A martyr is someone who presents the truth of the gospel and confirms it with his or her life. A martyr is someone who holds on to his or her confession even in the face of all manner of pressure and persecution. A martyr is someone who continues to hold on to the name of God, to defend the cause of God, to promote the will and the people of God. No matter what the opposition may be like, he or she doesn't shrink back or wilt or lie or exaggerate or compromise or surrender to falsehood. They stand firm and they stand fast. Yes, and in this regard, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, there is a great cloud of these people. You might wonder about the use of the word cloud. Well, that's to describe both their number as well as their their unity. What we have here are not just a few people. No, we have a vast and we have a countless number of people. And what we have here as well are not all sorts of people all singing a different song to a different tune and bearing a different testimony or a different witness. Now, what is noteworthy about these people is the common confession that comes from their lips. The common Lord, the common Savior, the common Christian life and walk that they talk about. And, of course, all of that is rather remarkable. The existence of so many, many witnesses And then the fact that they are all bearing witness to the same God, the same truth, the same salvation. All of that is astounding. But you know, along with that, there is also something that is most amazing and most comforting. And and what is it? Well, it is the fact that the Hebrew believers may know themselves, as it were, to be surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, encompassed on every side. You know, it would appear that the first recipients of this letter were struggling people, really struggling. And they were struggling with their faith. If you ask in what way, well, as far as we can piece it together from this letter itself, the question really was around what are we to do? Shall we continue with Christ or go back to Moses? Shall we join together with the Gentiles and form one church or shall we go back to the Jewish church? 
Shall we live by grace through faith in Jesus Christ or shall we go back to the ceremonies and the rituals of the Old Testament and perhaps wait for a better Messiah? You see, these people were really being tossed to and fro. And that's why the writer has also in this particular book and up to this point spent so much time showing them over and over again the superiority of Jesus Christ. As he says, Christ is greater than the angels. Christ is greater than Moses. Christ is greater than the Old Testament priesthood. Christ's new covenant is better than Moses' old covenant. Yes, and now all that he has shown them, the writer of the Hebrews wants to use all of this. And he wants to use it to prod these struggling believers and to push them in the right Direction. And to do so, in order to do so, he also brings to the fore and reminds them about that great cloud of witnesses that they need to realize is as it were surrounding them. In other words, you're not alone in your struggles. The challenges that you face are not unique. The temptations that confront you are not so unusual. You're not the only ones or the first ones. And you know, neither are we and neither are these young people here this afternoon. Sometimes when the going gets tough in this life and the life of faith becomes a struggle, we too may be tempted to throw in the towel and to say to ourselves, why bother? Why go on? Why resist? Why be the odd person out? But yet you know at precisely such times we need to remember that we're not alone. And neither are we the first or the last. Rather we are to think of ourselves and we are to visualize our life as it were surrounded on every side, every day by an innumerable host of witnesses from the past. People who know the struggle. People who shared in the struggle. People who have stood hard and fast and firm in the face of the struggle. You see, we're to remember them. Remember all the martyrs that surround, as it were, and support our lives. But you know, we're also to do something else, for Hebrews goes on and it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And there you have the first, let us, let us throw off everything. And as you might Notice here you have a call to get rid of everything that might slow you down or trip you up. The background is the athlete who first of all goes into rigorous training in order to remove any and all excessive fat. And in addition, there is here also the idea that in the ancient world, the runners would take off their robes and their outer garments. They were usually long and heavy. 
and they would surely slow one down. So they took them off so that they could run free and unencumbered and supposedly fast as well. Now, it's not to see the spiritual application in those particular words, is it? Here we are as believers, and then if we want to run the race of the Christian life, the writer is saying the first thing that we need to do is we need to look at our own lives and look especially at the negatives. Are there perhaps attitudes and outlooks, behaviors and conducts that can slow us down? trip us up or cause us to be disqualified? You know, for those first readers of this letter, that meant looking at their renewed attachment or attraction to old Jewish ways of thinking and the whole idea that the Old Testament was somehow better. Now, I don't think that's our problem. Our problem, I think, today has more to do with the world. The world in which we live and function, it's money, it's fashions, it's sports, it's pleasures. We're supposed to be, and we are in the world, but are we becoming more and more of the world? And have we perhaps in the process become too attached to its parties and its pastimes, its drinks and its drugs? Or for that matter, are there certain relationships or even friends, supposedly, who are dragging us down? Or are there certain sinful behaviors that are doing us in? Beloved, whatever threatens to hinder you or to entangle you, Hebrews says that's something that you need to throw away, get rid of it, discard it, toss it overboard. As you spring clean the houses of your lives at this time of the year. So sometimes it's good to spring clean your your life and your heart and your soul. Tidy them up. Trim them down. And then what? Why run? Run for your lives. Hebrews says, let us, there's the second let us, let us with perseverance run the race marked out for us. And notice this isn't a sprint, it isn't a hundred yard dash, no, it's a marathon. The Christian life is not simply for a season or for a moment. It's meant to be for a lifetime. And as a result, we need perseverance. And what's perseverance? Well, it has to do with patient endurance, doesn't it? It has to do with dogged determination. It has to do with staying and sticking power. I think the children in our midst are familiar with the the story of the hare 
and the tortoise, or as it's sometimes called, the rabbit and the turtle. I remember the story because I read it often to my kids. Both were entered into a race. The gun went off and the race began, and quick as a flash, the rabbit was gone and out of sight. And as for the turtle, he just kind of got up and went on his way in a very steady pace. And meanwhile, the rabbit was far ahead, and the outcome appeared to be a foregone conclusion. Of course, the rabbit would win the race. The race. But you know, the race was long and the race was hard and it went up and down hills and valleys and around and over obstacles through good weather and bad weather. Yes, and then over time, the rabbit began to slow down and to wear out. But not a turtle. He just kept plodding along at his old familiar pace. Yes, and as time and distance went on, Things changed. The rabbit slowed down more and more. Obviously, he wasn't an ever-ready bunny. And then, lo and behold, there came the turtle. The turtle came into sight. He drew even. He passed him. The turtle won the race. Why do you win the race. You could say because he had perseverance. And you know what a way that children's story fits here. It's a reminder to us that while speedy sprinters flash and fade, it are the long distance runners who prevail to the end. In the same way, there are people who embrace the Christian life with a great deal of enthusiasm and excitement. They take off like a flash. But then trials and troubles come along. And they become discouraged and disenchanted. They hadn't really counted on the hard and the dark days. They, they hadn't factored in the setbacks and the disappointments. And the result, they sputter and they stall. And then they stop. Well, beloved, Hebrews tells us that's not the way to run the race. We're to run this race with our eyes wide open. We are to count, the Lord Jesus says over and over again, the cost of discipleship ahead of time. We're to expect trouble. On the way. So often in terms of the devil, the world, and our own flesh. In short, we need to be realistic and prepare. Perseverance is to characterize our running. Yes, and that, beloved, applies to all of God's people. It applies to the saints in the New Testament church. It applies to you saints today, old saints, young saints. Realize just what kind of a race course this is. Do not enter it. If your expectations are unrealistic or I might say unbiblical. 
You know, in many parts of the world today, people seem to think that if you embrace the Christian faith, it's like going up the ladder to success. Or it's like traveling the road of health, wealth, and happiness. Or it's the road of not a care in the world will ever come along again. But you know, if you have that kind of a mindset, it's really hard to persevere. And that's why we need to run realistically. We need to run biblically, we need to run confessionally, we need to run persistently. But above all, and here comes the crunch of the matter, above all, we need to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus. The third let us in our text is by far the most important, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And with these words, the officer of this letter is holding before our eyes both the person as well as the work of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's saying, as you run this race, fix your eyes on him. Concentrate on him constantly. Always look to him. You know, sometimes you read about runners who really want to win the prize, so they take a picture of the prize and they post it in their lockers. Or they hang it in their rooms. Or they stick it in their pockets. Or they put it around their necks. The idea is, keep the prize always before you, so you know what you're aiming and striving for. But here it says that as a believer... We need to fix our eyes, not on something, not on a cup, not on a gold medal, not even on the Stanley Cup. We need to fix our eyes on someone, someone special, and that someone is Christ. And why do we need to fix our eyes on him? Well, it's written, it says, because he alone knows the way. He is, it says, the author. Better, perhaps, is the term pioneer. You see, he's gone through the new territory already. He knows the way. He's cleared the way. He's removed the obstacles. He's able to lead us through. Christ is our pioneer. But he's also more, notice, it says here, he is also the perfecter, or if you will, the finisher, which means that not only does he know the way, but he is also able to equip us on the way and to bring us ultimately to our goal and destination. He gives us the strength and the stamina and the willpower. But how do we know this to be true? And perhaps you ask certain. Well, notice Hebrews says, consider his life and consider his work. It asks, did he not endure 
the cross? Did he not bear the shame? Did he not triumph? And is he now not seated at the right hand of the heavenly throne? Has the pioneer and the perfecter not become the victor? So who better to look to? Who better to fixate on? Who better to think of? And therefore, beloved, and that includes all of you, but especially you young people here this afternoon, fix your eyes on Jesus. Give him the first and the foremost place in your hearts and in your minds. Wake up with him every morning and go through your day with him. And on those days when it appears to be too much because of the hard things that life throws at you, and maybe because of the difficult people who oppose you, then remember him. He knew opposition every day. He knew the scorn of sinful men. He knew the hatred of many hearts. He knew all the valleys and the low points of life intimately. But nevertheless, he did not grow weary and lose heart. And neither must you. His life, his attitude, his example needs to motivate you. And it needs to motivate all of us. So, beloved, as you run the race of the Christian life, remember to fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't let him out of your sight. Look to him and at him, as it were, every day. Yes, and know that in the end, it will prove to be so utterly and wonderfully worthwhile. Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The way to joy, the way to a crown, is not easy. However, with Christ as your pioneer and perfecter, beside you, And before you, you will make it. And so run, beloved. Run surrounded by witnesses. Run without baggage. Run with perseverance. Run with Christ constantly before you. Run in this way. And I guarantee you, according to the Holy Scriptures, you will run well. And indeed, you will run all the way to glory. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.